Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. Uh, Good morning, Grace City. My name is Michael. Uh, I am not going to spend a lot of time talking about myself or qualifying myself, because the fact that your pastors have me standing here before you should be qualification enough. Um... Uh, I do want to say, however, that I love you, okay? I love you. I love you. Jesus came to justify us, our relationship with God, so that we might be justified among one another, so that we might be justifiers, right? Uh, excuse me, reconcilers, sorry. Reconcile. He did justify as well. Um, but I know your stuff. Um, I, I, I know your beliefs. I know your core values. Um, I know what your pastors preach on Sunday morning. I listen to every single sermon that comes out of this place. And let me tell you, y'all, it is good. Y'all got some of the best preaching um, that I've heard. And it's not just Pastor Punk, man. Pastor David Kite, Pastor Raven, every time somebody comes up here and opens the word of God, they're giving you good, solid theology. And so I just want to tell you, trust what they're saying. Wrestle with it. If something sounds funky, wrestle with it. Pastor Plunk is not scared of your questions. I can assure you that. Okay, wrestle with it, but, but I'm telling you, what you're getting is good stuff. Um, I am, um, I'm a Southern Baptist, um, and I'm not a Southern Baptist because my, my grandfather started the library at uh, Golden Gate Seminary, and I'm, I'm not a Southern Baptist because my dad pastored a Southern Baptist church for 40 years down the street, and I'm not a Southern Baptist because I was born on a Southern Baptist pew. I am a Southern Baptist because Southern Baptists, the one thing they do really, really well is hold God's word up high in reverence, and they care for it, okay? And so um, I don't care what you call yourselves over here. As long as y'all keep doing with God's word what you're doing with God's word, I'm with you, okay? Let me say that. Um, kids, y'all got things to write on that's things that you want to pay. Man, y'all are so handsome. Um, y'all, got, um, y'all got things you're going to write on, and I'm going to give you three words that you need to remember, okay? And these are the answers to the test, time talents and treasure, okay? I used to be a a substitute teacher. I'm the worst substitute teacher. I give you the answers. As long as you don't make too much noise and cause the principals to come in the room, we're cool, okay? Time, talents, and treasures, okay? But now, just you young folks, I want to talk to you guys for just a one minute or two minutes, okay? Because I want to tell you an important story before I talk to the older folks, okay? And I'm going to tell you a story that I'm, I'm sure you already know, okay? But I need your attention anyway, and I need it to show, okay? I'm going to tell you a story about a little shepherd boy named David who was way out in the fields watching his father's flocks. Now, David would eventually become a thing, but at this time in his life, he's just doing his shepherd thing, okay? And his dad comes to him, and he says, David, I want you to go check on your brothers. And so David, as always, was obedient to his father, And he went to go check on their peace. Now, you need to remember, these were his older brothers. David was the least. So when he got to to his brothers, he saw that they were about to get in a fight, not just his brothers, but his uncles and his cousins and his clan and his tribe and all of his people were about to get in a battle with these guys called the Philistines. And he walked up to his brothers, and his brothers were scared, and they were shaken in their boots. And David said, What's going on? And his brother said, don't you see that big, mean, scary guy over there? Don't you hear how he's cursing our God? Don't you hear the curse words flying? David said, 
Don't you know last week I rescued a lamb from the mouth of a lion? His brother said, yeah, but he's a seasoned warrior. He's killed many men. David said, man, I don't care. Just last week I had to wrestle a bear. So, King, so David goes to King Saul and he says, listen, I'll go fight him. I got your back. And King Saul, he was quite happy about that because King Saul was really scared because he was on his way out. David had been anointed and he was on his way up. So King Saul said to David, here, take all my armor. So David put on the armor and he tried to walk around, but he, he just couldn't feel it, man. He, he felt like a clown. And so he said to King Saul, I can't have your armor. I don't need it. I don't need to be walking around all stiff and clanging. He said, I just need these three stones because I'm finna get slanging. So David walks down in the valley and he looks up at Goliath. Goliath starts making fun of David and laughing. And then all the Philistine brothers, they all got to clapping. He said, what am I, a dog that you come at me with a stick? David said, oh, no, I come at you with my faith and it's thick. So David's got to swing in one, two, three, Four, stone between the eyes. Goliath hit the floor. David grabbed his sword and he cut off his head. Next thing you know, all the Philistines fled. Now, why am I telling you this story, man? What's it all about? Because this scripture we're about to read came straight out of David's mouth. Okay? Gotcha. All right. Their behavior from here on out is on you, parents. I did. I did my part. Um, we're going to read from the book of Chronicles this morning, First Chronicles chapter 29. If you have your Bibles, you should turn there. A um, couple of notes on the book of Chronicles. Uh, it's not actually two books. In the Hebrew Bible, it was originally one book, and it did not come in the place where it's at in our Bible. It was actually at the end of the Hebrew Bible because it's kind of a recap, okay? And so the book of Chronicles is um, it's a chronicle. Okay, and I don't need to explain to you guys what a chronicle is because my bet is that most of y'all have read something by C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. Okay, so the chronicle is just a story, right? It's a story about what happened. Um, and the part we're going to read is um, by King David, uh, and it's King David speaking towards the end of his life. Okay, the first story was David as a young man, but now he's speaking from his experience and he's kind of looking back on life. Uh, and he's passing on some wisdom. Um, Y'all been doing a, a, a series on spiritual habits. Uh, I really appreciate the beginning. I appreciate Pastor Plunk taking time to talk to us about God's holiness uh, and reminding us that if we, um, if we see God's holiness as trite, that our view of our sin will become trivial. Um, I listened to that sermon uh, multiple times because it was a challenge for me. Uh, in my life, oftentimes my sin that I have and that I struggle with becomes trivial when I don't have a high view of God's holiness, okay? So I just, I appreciate that. Um, so he asked me to speak about three things, about serving and in specifically serving with our time and our talents and our treasures. And so because I respect him so much, I've decided to talk about worldview, okay? <laughs> really, I... Out of respect for him, I'm going to talk about worldview because I can talk to you all day long about time, talents, and treasure, but if your worldview is not right, it doesn't make a difference. Because as C.S. Lewis says, C.S. Lewis says, a man cannot put his faith in Christ 
and fail to have his worldview show through. What we do with our time and our talents and our treasure is a direct result of our worldview. Okay, so we're going to spend a few minutes talking about worldview, and we're going to talk about time, talents, and treasures. But we're going to start talking about worldview. Um, I'm going to I'm going to reread this. Uh, well, I'm going to kind of read through slowly. You will notice that um, this is a New Living Translation, and what they gave you is a New Living Translation. Um, but mine's a little bit different. Uh, because my mom gave me this Bible like 25 years ago, and my mom's what I like to refer to as an original gangster, okay? <laughs> Southern Baptist preacher's wife, as soon as the NLT came out, she's reading it. She's absorbing it. She's okay with it, okay? It was not okay to read the NLT 20 years ago. But my mom gave me this when I got my first ministry job, uh, and so I've been teaching and preaching out of it ever since. And so that's what I'm going to use. Um, so if it's different, that's why. Um, so we're looking at 1 Chronicles chapter 29, starting in verse 10. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Riches and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your Hand, and it is at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. Our, oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give you anything? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you have already given us. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a shadow gone so soon without a trace. O oh Lord our God, even these materials that we have gathered to build a temple to honor your name come from you. It all belongs to you. The first two verses that we've read, David makes quite clear what his worldview is. Who is at the, God bless you, who is at the center of his universe? Verse 1, he says, oh, Lord. He doesn't say, oh, friend. He doesn't say, oh, brother. He, doesn't, he says, oh, Lord. The God that he is about to talk about is his master. And he is under his rule. And then David says, O oh Lord, the God of our ancestor, Israel. People talk about God in a lot of different ways. David is talking about a very specific God. He is talking about a Judeo-Christian God. And unfortunately here in America, the only God that is unacceptable is the Judeo-Christian God. Unfortunately, David is talking, when he says 
the God of our ancestor Israel, he's talking about the God who called Abraham out of Ur, the God who uh, rescued Isaac on Mount Moriah when Abraham was about to sacrifice him, and he's the God who changed Jacob's name to Israel, who would become the father of the 12 tribes that would become the nation of Israel. That is who David's God is, and that is who he's talking about. Make no mistake. May you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. Everything in, this, in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. The, the verbiage that David's using here is probably familiar to you. And I know it's familiar to you because I've heard Pastor Plunk preach on Matthew chapter 6. And I know that when, I know y'all know the prayer that when Jesus' disciples said, teach us how to pray, y'all are familiar with that prayer. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory. It's the same verbiage. It's the same words. And Jesus is doing that intentionally because when Jesus is telling his disciples how to pray, he's trying to make them pray from their worldview. And so Jesus, in teaching his disciples how to pray, is expressing his worldview. And it's the same exact worldview that David had 1,500, 2,000 years before. The same worldview. And so if you are here today and you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you're here today and say, I have surrendered my life to Christ, Jesus is my Lord, this is your worldview. And if your life does not reflect this worldview, you got some thinking to do. You either need to think about your salvation or you need to wrestle with your worldview, okay? If we follow Christ, this is our worldview. Verse 12, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 12. Riches and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. I want to talk for a minute about our talents, okay? Every strength, every talent, everything you have, God gave you. The degree that's hanging on your wall, God gave you the mind and the ability to grab all of that knowledge in order to pass the test, to book. To, to earn that degree. If you had to pay for that degree, God gave you the money you needed to pay for that degree. And if you continue to trust in him, he'll give you the rest of the money you need to pay for that degree because I know you still got a student loan, all right? I got a degree, I ain't never used it. But I'm still paying for it. Come get it. We have to look at our time and our, we have to look at our talents in terms of how we can use them for God's service because God is the one who gave us those talents. Um, you guys know who um, C.J. Stroud is? Slow down now. <laughs> C.J. Stroud is a quarterback for the Houston Texans, young guy, 21, 22 years old. Um, he's probably going to end up being one of the greatest quarterbacks ever played if he, if he keeps going what he's going and stays healthy. But I was watching an interview with uh, C.J. Stroud, and interviews, reporters asking the question, and, and 
C.J. Stroud starts this way. He says, all glory and honor and praise be to God and Jesus Christ, my Savior. And then he continues on and he says, look, man, I am blessed and I am privileged. And then he begins to talk about why he's blessed and why he's privileged. And he starts like this. Every day I wake up. Every day I can walk. Every day I can talk. He says, I wake up and I can smell. He says, I'm blessed to be able to build relationships with the people around it. Here's what the way Paul said that. Paul said, in him we live and move and have our being. It's not just about our talents. Every strength that we have. If you were strong enough to walk up those stairs and in this building, God gave you the strength to do that. That's where we have to start when we're thinking about our talents. Every strength we have has come from God, and it is for his purpose. The rest of that interview, after he talks about being blessed to walk and talk and think and breathe, he says, and I get to play football. And this is what he says about playing football. He says, football is my platform. Sharing the gospel of Jesus and my Savior with the world is my purpose. 21 years old, he could have his mind on a zillion different things. All he wants to do is share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world around him. And no matter where he is or what he's doing, that's what he's going to use his life for. The, ta the talents, the gifts... The degrees, the intelligence, everything you have, God has given to you for his glory and for his purposes. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 are really good chapters on gifts and the body and how we're supposed to use them. I'm going to read you a couple of excerpts from chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, I will write about the special abilities, strengths. I'll write about the special abilities the Holy Spirit gives to each of us. He goes on in verse 4 to say, Now there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it's the same Holy Spirit who is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service in the church, but it's the same Lord we are serving. There are different ways God works in our lives, but it is the same God who does the work through all of us. A spiritual gift is given, listen, to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. Now listen, I'm not here, to take, here today to talk about how you serve at Grace City. Because I do not need to talk to you about how you serve at Grace City. Y'all got so many volunteers in this place. Y'all could come run my church and this church and never miss a beat. I spent the weekend with a hundred some odd of your leaders and if they're leaders, that means they're leading someone or something. So if, if all those 100 each just have one, that makes 200. And what are y'all, 400, 450? 50% of y'all are volunteering? You're blowing the 80-20 rule out of the water. I don't need to talk to you about serving at Grace City Church. You are doing an excellent job of that. And you, that's because you have excellent models in front of you, okay? Your staff is some of the most amazing staff I have ever met in my entire life. You guys are blessed because they're doing what they're saying we need to do. I watched McKenna the other day in the office. A young lady came in 
single mom, immigrant. <clears throat> McKenna spent time with a translator trying to figure out what her needs were. Turns out she needs to get to Chicago. That's a big need. And then she continued to ask to find out, okay, are there any small needs that I can, that I can fulfill? Turns out she needed some milk and some eggs and some bread and whatnot. And so McKenna gets done with that and she stands up. She says, <clears throat> Pastor Kite was standing right there with me. She says, okay, um, I've got time to run to the store and take care of these small needs. I'll be right back. Straight to the store, spent her treasure to fulfill the need. You guys have folks who, who got it right. And do you know why McKenna did that for that immigrant? Because the immigrants belong to God. You ever read the story of Hagar in the Old Testament? Hagar was an, it was an immigrant. Her name actually means immigrant. She was a young girl from Egypt who was trafficked, sold to Abraham, and then forced into a relationship with Abraham so that she could have a child for Abraham's wife. And she runs off into the wilderness, and what does the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob say when he walks up to her? He says, I see you and I hear you. And he rescues her twice. He rescued her twice, and she's, she's the foreigner. She's not even of Abraham's line. She rescued her twice in the wilderness. God sees the immigrant, and McKenna believes that. That is her worldview, and it comes out of her life. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. You got good models in front of you. Key one. Kiwan's a good model. Um, Kiwan pays attention. He has a good worldview in terms of how he thinks about time. Man, I had dinner scheduled with Kiwan and his wife. They've come to my house before for, for dinner. It's beautiful, lovely couple. Ellie, she's super smart, awesome. She's like a whole nurse doing her whole nursing thing to support Kiwan so he can be here to build the kingdom. No possible way. Listen. No possible way y'all are paying Kiwan enough to live in Charleston on his own salary. He can't do it. I live here. If you are, <laughs> let me borrow a dollar. Um, so I, I've got dinner scheduled with Kiwan, and the day of, the day of, he calls me talking about I got to cancel. The reason why he had to cancel is because his life's, his wife's schedule was so cram-packed cram full of work, and his life was so jam-packed full of ministry, he only had one night to spend with his wife. And he said, I'm going to stay home tonight. I got to be home tonight with my wife. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The scripture doesn't say, husband, love your kids as Christ loved the church and gave himself for them. Your kids are going to leave and cleave. Your wife has been made one with you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He does not say, pastors, love your church as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus already died for the church. He don't need you to give your life up for the church. But what he's asked you to do is to give your life up for your wife. Because he's given us marriage and he's given us husbandhood so that we can be a picture to the world of God's love for us and for his church. Do not get that twisted. Um, talents. God is, uh, 
God has gifted you, okay? Um, years and years ago, I went to serve overseas in the Middle East, and I went with an organization that did a great job of training us. And so during training, they said, here, you need to focus on two things your first two years, your first three years of, of being overseas. You need to focus on learning language and building relationships, okay? And I didn't know this at the time, but there are two things that I am really, really gifted at, learning language and building relationships. I, I'm the missionary that other missionaries cannot stand. Because they're out here laboring for two years and three years trying to learn a language. And I literally show up and in six months I'm like, I got it. We're going, you know. It's just a thing that God has given me. It's not me. God, it's a gift God has given me. So I went and they sent me to this first place. And they said, remember, learn language, build relationships. So I go. I go to a city named Sulaymaniyah. It's in northern Iraq. And uh, they speak a language called Kurdish. And they speak a specific dialect of Kurdish called Sorani. And so I spent six months learning language and building relationships. And did a great job. And then the organization I was working for decided that I needed more supervision than I had. And so, um, <clears throat> so they sent me to a different city where there were some other people to help hold me accountable. And so uh, I get to this new city, and it's the same language, but it's a completely different dialect. They speak Badini over here. And the people who speak Badini and the people who speak Sorani can't even communicate with one another. I start all over. Fine. At least I still have a job. Um, so, so I start all over and I start learning that language. But I still had language and relationships in this other city. And so I used to travel back and forth all the time just driving. And one of those times I did as I normally do and I picked up a hitchhiker, okay, because it's Iraq and we pick up hitchhikers. Um, and so I go to drop him off his city. His city was halfway between the two places where I was traveling from. It's called Black Rock. And so um, I go to drop him off in Black Rock and he says, hey, man, why don't you come in and have a meal? Sure, why not? Middle of Iraq. Nobody knows where I'm at. Let's have a meal. So I go, and we get done having dinner, and, and there's 8 or 10 or 12 young men around me. And so I did what they told me to do in training. I opened my Bible, even though it was in English, and I began to tell a story about Jesus from my Bible, fr from my memory. And come to find out, they understood everything that was coming out of my mouth. And as they were talking, I understood what they were saying. And I said, what dialect do you guys speak? And they said, we speak Gorani. I said, Gorani, never heard of it. Well, their location was smack dab halfway between these two different peoples, and their language was exactly half of each of those. And so God had given me the ability to speak what they would understand at that moment. It's a beautiful thing. Nothing to do with me. Um, so we get done with the story, and uh, the guy says, hey, man, won't you come back and just stay at my house with me? Sure, why not? Middle of Iraq, nobody knows where I'm at. Let's go. I was young and single, so you can do stuff like that when you're single. Um, so we get to the guy's house, and we're having tea. It's late at night, and his dad comes out, and I start talking with his dad. And come to find out, his dad is the local imam, the local religious leader for that city, city of about 8,000 people. And I wander into the main religious leader's house, right? <clears throat> so we get to talking, and um, I didn't have a there, – there was at that time, there wasn't a scripture in their language. Um, but I thought to myself, he's a Quranic scholar, so he's got to speak Arabic. So I had a half English, half Arabic Bible in my, in my car. So I go out and get it, and I pull it open. And we start just comparing Old Testament stories. And if you don't know this, most of the Quran comes from the Bible. 60% of the Quran is Old Testament stories, a little bit of New Testament. Um, so we're just comparing stories about Noah. Like we're talking about the, the exodus from Egypt. That's in the Quran, except... Somehow the Quran happens to leave out the whole part about the Passover lamb. 
conveniently. Um, so we're comparing stories, and as we're reading, he just kind of moves away down the couch, and he's just pouring through the Old Testament. And um, it was dinner t- uh, t- time to go to bed, and so I was saying goodnight and then was going to go to the spot that they had for me to sleep. And he said, hey, where would you get this book? And I said, man, I got it next city over, $5. And I said, tell you what, you keep that book as my gift to you for your hospitality to me. Now, I've never been back to Black Rock, but I do know that in Black Rock, the religious leader of that Islamic village has a copy of the Bible in his house, okay? I stumbled into that, totally accident. But God has gifted us for his purposes, and even if we don't know he's using our gifts for his purpose, he's using our gifts for his purpose. But it's probably better if we're intentional about it. So that's what I have to say about the talents. They all belong to God. He gave them to you. Use them to build his kingdom. Think creatively. I love the fact that y'all have that haves and have nots list. Like not, not just spiritual gifts. Yes, go take a spiritual gifts test. Please understand your spiritual gifts. But it's not just that. Hard skills that you guys have, fixing this, fixing that. That's a beautiful way that we can build up the body and use the skills and the gifts and the strengths that our God has given us. First uh, Chronicles chapter 29, verse 15. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a shadow gone so soon without a trace. If you grew up in America, most likely this culture has taught you to focus mostly on the future. That's why we tell our kids to go, go to school, study hard, get your degree, right? That's why we put away money for our kids' uh, college fund. That's why we save for retirement. Um, but that's not how it is in many places in the world. Many places in the world, they're looking backwards more than they're looking forwards, and they're Remembering their ancestors, there's even some places far east that worship their ancestors. And so in a culture like that, with a worldview like theirs, what you might find is the the money that we would say you need to put away for retirement or you need to put away for your child's college fund, what they would do is go spend all of that money on a monument to honor their ancestors because that's their worldview. That's how they think about time. They think about the past more than they think about the future. Jesus... uh, David here says, we're visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a shadow gone so soon without a trace. I think it's healthy for us to look back a little more than we have a tendency to look back. I was talking to a young couple uh, in my community group a couple weeks ago, white dude, African-American chick. We were talking about our pasts, and he was talking about his grandfather, who was a pharmacist, very successful business owner, shrewd business owner, good with his money, very generous, always was giving his money away. But one of the things he did is he put away money for his grandkids' college. And so my buddy, who's now got a Ph.D., has a Ph.D. without $1 in debt. And he was just talking about how grateful he was for his ancestors, for his grandfather, having thought forward about that. That's a beautiful thing. And I was talking with kind of a discussion question we're all answering, right? And so come to his wife, and she begins to talk about her 
ancestors. And her grandmother um, grew up same time Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And she was in Memphis when he gave that last speech in Memphis when he was addressing the injustice that the, uh, the sanitation workers were, were experiencing. She remembers that, and then he was um, assassinated the next day. But here's what she said about her grandmother. She said, she said, I am a product of my people's prayers. She said, all the blessings I have is because my grandmother prayed for me. My grandmother prayed for my husband before I ever got married. She said, I am a product of the prayers of my people. That is a healthy look back at what our ancestors were doing that can inform what we're doing as we look to the future. Some of us need to look back and say, I ain't never doing that. Some of us need to look back at the generational sin and the, and the, the generations of addiction and decide, you know what? It's going to stop here. I'm not going to let this cycle continue. That's a healthy look back, even at a healthy, at an unhealthy ancestry. David's looking at that. His, his, his view of time is good and healthy, biblical. I think if we, if we think about time, it will affect our marriages. How much time do you spend on really dumb arguments? Not just dumb counterproductive arguments. Like we're not even arguing to get somewhere. We're just arguing to cut and to wound. If, you get, if we get our worldview right, our view of time right, oh, we don't always have the quantity of time that we want to spend with our spouses. But we can think about the quality of time that I spend with my spouse. Am I going to put my phone away? Am I going to shut my mouth? Am I going to gaze into her beautiful eyes deeply and tell her how wonderful she is and listen to her and engage with her? Or am I just going to be on the phone? Man, we got to start thinking about time the right way. we got to let our worldview inform how we spend our time. My two-year-old sleeps in the bed with me. There's a whole thing about not co-sleeping and all the problems I'm causing. I don't care. He's going to be two and a half one time and no better sleep than cuddling with your two-year-old son in the bed. It ain't no better sleep. So don't tell me about co-sleeping. I don't have time for that. I'm going to co-sleep. Shoot. Um, you, guys, <laughs> you guys are in the book of Mark. Um, and so I want to I take a look at a couple things in the book of Mark. Don't turn there because I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to give you a couple of excerpts. And all these things are found in the other Gospels. But I know y'all are studying the book of Mark. And I know y'all are just about in chapter 5, okay? So I, when I say I, I appreciate your teaching, I'm paying attention, okay? So we're going to go through Mark. And we're going to take a look at how Jesus spent his time because here's what's really important. We spend a whole lot of time doing and working and being defined by our jobs and what we can gain and what we can collect. But the lesson I think we take from Jesus' life is if we're going to spend our time, if our life is but a shadow on this earth, then we need to spend it with people. People are more important than anything else that we're doing. So let's look at what Jesus did. Mark chapter 2, you see Jesus calling his, uh, one of his first disciples, Levi, who was a tax collector. And what happens when Levi decides to follow him? Levi says, hey, Jesus, why don't you come to my house for dinner, right? And who else shows up at Levi's house? A whole bunch of other notorious tax collectors and notorious sinners. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus' disciples and they say, chapter 2, verse 16, why does he eat 
with such scum? What's Jesus' response? Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call sinners, not those who think they are already good enough. I know your preacher told you, because I listened to an awesome sermon that he preached about a leper and about cleansing the leper. And I heard him say, we so worried about going into an unclean place because we're afraid we're going to get unclean, when what we should be thinking is, I'm clean, and I'm going to go into this unclean place, and I'm going to clean it up. Okay? we got to spend time with people who are lost, people who are far from God. If your coworker invites you to the bar, go to the bar. We're so afraid that our friend's going to see us walking out the bar. It's okay for your friend to see you walking out the bar. Just don't let him see you and you stumble out the bar, okay? <laughs> and if your friend is over there, then invite your friend with him because now you've got two of you clean people going into this unclean space. It's okay to spend time with sinners. In fact, if we don't, they just going to keep on being sinners. Chapter 3. Verse 13, Jesus then calls to himself up on the mountain the ones that he wants. And then out of that large group of people, Jesus chooses 12. Again, this is descriptive. This is not prescriptive. I'm telling you what Jesus was doing. Jesus didn't say go do this, okay? I'm not trying to misread the Bible or misrepresent the Bible. This is descriptive reading, not prescriptive reading. But we learn from Jesus because he was Jesus. So he calls this large group up, and then he chooses 12 out of them. So here's what I see Jesus in this group, right, in this large group. You need to be here on Sunday morning. You need to be here on Sunday morning regular. Not every Sunday morning. Some Sunday mornings you need to stay in bed and sleep because you've exhausted yourself. Sometimes, some Sunday mornings it's okay to lay in bed, but you really need to be here when you can be here in this large group. And then we see Jesus taking the 12. And I know you guys do, like we call them community groups. I don't know what y'all call them. I know y'all do community groups. Y'all do community groups. When I think of community group, I think of three or four families, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 people, and depending on how many kids you have, doing life together. And you need two or three or four families around you doing life with you because life is going to happen. And there's going to be a time where a wife needs another wife to talk to and a husband needs another husband to talk to. And it's going to be a time where a couple needs another couple to watch their kids because there are other kids in the hospital and they need to go stay overnight in the hospital. And so they should be able to have a place to go drop their kid off of and not even worry about it and go deal with what they're dealing with. Or they had not have a date in six months and so I need a date. So can you watch my kid so I can go love my wife well? Got to have those groups of 10 or 12. And you single people are not excluded. Families need to be seeking these single folks out. We're so individualistic in this country. It doesn't, nobody goes and lives on their own. Single women do not live on their own anywhere else in the world. It doesn't happen. We all out here got our own apartment, spending all my money, barely making the rent. Somebody got an extra room. Somebody's got an extra car. Why are we out here struggling just so we can be all by myself? And you single folks need to be seeking out these families, these healthy marriages. So you need to go into these people's homes so they can see how that husband loves that wife so you know what kind of man you don't want to marry. You know what I'm saying? No, in a lot of countries, they choose their, the family chooses the husband or the wife for the people. We don't do that here. I'm going to make my own decision. Man, ladies, 
boy, y'all be dating some sorry dudes, man. Like, stick yourself into this group of, of three or four families and, and, and then bring him along and let them give you an opinion, okay? Let them give you an opinion. We need those 12s. And then you keep moving on in Mark. You see chapter 9, and Jesus takes uh, Peter, James, and John up to the top of the mountain, just Peter, James, and John. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain. No one else was there. As the men watched Jesus, his appearance changed. And his clothing became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly process could ever make it. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Jesus didn't take the whole group up there because the whole group up there could not handle him talking to dead people. That would have scared a whole bunch of them. But Peter, James, and John, they could manage it. They said, this is awesome. Let's stay here. You need two or three people that you can be absolutely transparent with. You need two or three people that you can allow to see every single bit of who you are. And this is what's going to happen if you do that. If you watch each, if you do that and look at each other, this is what's going to happen. You will watch each other change. Be transparent with just two or three. Not everybody, because you can't trust everybody, but you got to get your one or two or three that you can be absolutely vulnerable with. Spend our time with people. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 16. O Lord our God, even these materials that we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name come from you. It all belongs to you. David was gathering materials to build a physical building. We are gathering our materials to build a kingdom, okay? We're not building a building. And I said this to these guys earlier in the service, and they let me come back, so I'm going to say it again. If y'all go buy a cheap plot of land in Utahville and build a state-of-the-art facility with a gymnasium and a, and a Taco Bell and a, and, a, and a Starbucks, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. The only thing that is transferable from this side to heaven is people. The only thing that we get to take with us is us. So when you think about how you spend your money, you need to think about that place and spending it on something that you can actually take with you, okay? We're building his kingdom. I'm almost done. <clears throat> We are sick. We have an illness, and we got it honestly because we're born with it. But we have an illness, and our country and our culture and the worldview that it forces on us is not helping. The sickness is called self-centeredness. Somehow we have put ourselves at the center of the universe. And we got to fix that, and it starts with our worldview. Because listen... God asked Noah to build a boat, okay? And Noah didn't build a boat to save the family. Noah build a, built a boat because of his worldview, because he said everything belongs to God, and that includes me. So if God tells me to build a boat, then I'm going to go build a boat. And God is probably not going to ask you to build a boat. But what are you going to do if he asks you to sell your boat? God called Abraham out of Ur. Imagine the conversation he had. 
He said, I got to go. Where are you going? I don't know. Why are you leaving if you don't know where you're going? Because God said go. And so I don't care if you're like Sarah and you've worked hard to get a, a, a degree in nursing and you're planning on going, in, going into nursing and making this money and fulfilling your dream. If God says sell everything and move to Charleston to go be a part of that church, then that's what you got to do. When I say y'all got good models, you got good models. So if God tells you to sell everything you have and move to Timbuktu, you better sell everything you have and move to Timbuktu because it all belongs to him. Mark chapter 11. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is it? He asked. In your glorious kingdom, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you. They said, one at your right and one at your left. But Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of sorrow that I am about to drink? Are you capable to be baptized with the baptism of suffering? I must be baptized. Oh, yes, they said, we are able. Jesus said, you will indeed. Listen, they're trying to get close to God. Even in their trying to grow near to God, man, they're broken still. They still get it. All they want to do is be near Jesus. And they're still self-centered about their being near to Jesus. Here's Jesus' response. You will indeed drink from this cup and be baptized with my baptism. But listen to this, verse 40, chapter 10. But I have no right to say who will sit on the thrones next to mine. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Jesus says it all belongs to God. Not even Jesus. Jesus says it all belongs to God. And here's the last thing I'll leave you with is, we know about Jesus' worldview, and, and this is what Jesus' personal response to his worldview is. He says, you know that in this world, kings and tyrants and officials lord it over the people beneath them, but among you, it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Amen. I hope you guys have been blessed this morning. I love you so much. We're going to move into a time of communion, and I hope it is so, so good for you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website.